Well, we are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. We are still in John chapter 2, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up there. This study is going to be a little bit longer than what I normally do, but uh, we still won't finish up John chapter 2 today. But the last time we were together, we left off in verse 11. And today we will study verses 12 through 22. As always, I encourage you to mark this page in your Bible as we will be going in and out of this chapter for about the next uh, 35 minutes or so. But just for a refresher, let's go ahead and read verses um, 1 through 22, and then we'll go back and we'll start studying from verse 12 on. So John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This Beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word 
which Jesus had said. Okay, so looking back now at verse 12, it says, After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Okay, so the wedding is over. He had turned the water to wine, and they headed south to Capernaum. Capernaum was a seaside village. Its name means a village of comfort. We are not told what they did there, just that they didn't stay there very long. You see, Jesus is on a divine time schedule now. Remember in chapter 1, we studied how John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from the start of the ministry of Jesus, he was headed directly for the cross. And that is why I say that he is on a divine time schedule. The cross is awaiting him. The clock is ticking and he's, he has to be on the move. But what an exciting trip to Capernaum this must have been. He had just manifested his glory at the wedding. His mom is probably brimming with excitement like we talked about last time. His disciples, we are told in verse 11, now believed in him and the whole group of them are on the move. You see, the disciples were already followers of Jesus, but I'm sure they probably still had many questions. And back there in verse 11, where it says they now believed in him, the Greek word used for the word believed is the word pisteeu. And that word is used uh, to denote conviction and, and trust. It's where a person is compelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and a law of the soul. In other words, his disciples who already had placed some faith in Jesus by deciding to follow him back in chapter 1 are now convicted deeper within them that this is for sure the Christ. You would not be able to convince these guys otherwise from this point on. And like I said, they'll still have questions and they'll have times of doubt. And we'll see that as we continue to study through the Gospel of John. But they are now convicted in their hearts of who Jesus is and they have seen him manifest his glory. And you know, the more we follow Jesus, the more amazed we become by him. He is ever faithful to us and ever true. He knows our every need and desires that we would absolutely surrender all and trust in him. You know, you'll hear me use those words a lot. Absolute surrender. But I believe that we can only come to a place of absolute surrender as a result of hanging around Jesus. As we study his word and speak with him in prayer, we become more and more convinced deep within our souls that with him is where we belong. We are the sheep of his pasture. The Bible says, and and. He is the good shepherd leading us through this life. 
But this must have been an awesome time for Mary and the disciples. Having turned water into wine in Galilee, Jesus must have been on the top of everyone's list. Engaged couples were probably saying, hey, make sure we invite Jesus to our wedding, honey. (laughs) But you know what? It wasn't always going to be good times with Jesus. To follow Jesus also means that there will be some uncomfortable times. And we'll see that in a few minutes. But verse 13 says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, so they're down in Capernaum, and they go up with Jesus to Jerusalem. And it says here that it was the time of Passover. You see, each Jewish man was required to attend three annual feasts in Jerusalem. The Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Passover feast. And we'll study those feasts at a later time. But you know, Jesus often violated the man-made religious traditions, but he always obeyed and was faithful to uphold the statutes of the law. In his life and in his death, he fulfilled the law so that we today are not burdened by the yoke of bondage that the law is. Let's turn to Acts chapter 15. So up one book from where we are now in the Gospel of John, you'll find the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. We're going to um, look at an example here of the law being mixed in with salvation. Acts chapter 15 Uh, Let's start reading in verse 1. We're actually going to read verses 1 through 12. So just follow along with us here. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers 
nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. You see, the law was good. It came from God and everything about it was good. The problem was that man could not keep the law. The Jews of that time tried with all their might to stick to the letter of the law, but no matter how hard they tried or no matter how good they wanted to appear, they always fell short. The law, therefore, was a burden. Man could not keep the law. And religion wants to impose this burden on others. But religion holds no cure for the disease of sin. None of us can, by our own works, become good enough to be accepted by God. Right here in verse 11, we see that it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Our attempts to be good enough is never going to be good enough. We all fall short. Jesus didn't come to this earth preaching the law. He came full of grace and truth. But he himself kept the law and fulfilled the law. He did what we could not do, and we are saved only as a result of his finished work. When it comes to the work that is necessary for salvation, you and I cannot do it. He did it. And when he died on that cross, he said, it is finished. So so many people today think that they have to be good to be accepted by God. Religion has painted this false picture of Christianity. A while back, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was uh, coming in to take over the pastor position of an established church. Now, this church has been there for many, many years, and he told me that he had seen a man walking through the parking lot of the church. He stopped the man and asked him, Hey, how long have you lived in this community? The man told him, 22 years. He said to him, have you ever been to church here? The man said, no. He said, you've lived here 22 years and never once visited this church. Why not? The man told him that he did not have the proper clothes and that he wasn't worthy enough to come to church. And to me, that's sad. It's sad that Christianity has painted this picture. Really, religion has. Not one of us was worthy of the salvation that Jesus purchased for us with his blood. Not one of us. None of us were worthy. That is why he died, to pay the price for sin. And he was the only one that was worthy to pay that price. You see, in Romans chapter 3, It says, there is none righteous, no, 
not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And in Mark chapter 10, a man came running up to Jesus, knelt down before him and asked him, Now, as he was going out on the road, it says in verse 17 of Mark chapter 1, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And, as we studied in John chapter 1, Jesus is God. Jesus came to the earth as God in the flesh, and he was the only one good enough to keep the whole law and the commandments. The rest of us don't stand a chance. But Jesus wants everyone to come to him. He is not willing that any perish. It doesn't matter what clothes we wear, what car we drive, or what church we belong to. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And all are welcome. And back in John chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus is keeping um, the law, and he goes to Jerusalem to keep the Passover. But now things are about change. Mom and the disciples were now going to see another side of Jesus. They're coming off this good time where they had seen Jesus manifest his glory at the wedding, but now we're going to see his zeal. And all of a sudden, it wouldn't be a very popular group anymore. Look at verse 14. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out uh, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So here we see Jesus cleaning house. The priest had set up shop and were doing business in a place called the Court of the Gentiles. And this area was called the Court of the Gentiles because the Gentiles were allowed to be in this area as long as they behaved in a reverent manner. The religious folk didn't have to behave in a reverent manner, just those dirty Gentiles. But the court of the Gentiles was supposed to be a place where the Gentiles could come and worship God. They were not allowed to be in the inner temple areas. So Jesus is very upset here because this place was supposed to be a place of worship and the Gentiles had no other place to go. And you know, what's interesting to me here in this chapter is that we've seen Jesus turn water into wine. He used something old, those old water pots, to make something new. And then we see him come to Jerusalem and cleanse the temple. And you know, that is what he does in our hearts. 
He takes that which is decrepit and torn up by sin, and he gives us new life. And then he begins a cleansing process in our lives. We then become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He gives us new life and he cleanses us of the old. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. To the right of where we are right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's uh, look at verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So do you see that? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should now be a house of worship. We've been bought at a price. And the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We should not be in a place where he has to make a whip and start overturning things in our lives to get our attention. He will if he has to, because Hebrews chapter 12 tells, tells us that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And we all, from time to time, need to be disciplined by God. I know I do. But when Christ is in us, we are now a house of worship. And we should not be representing God in a worldly manner like these priests were doing in the court of the Gentiles. Turn back, if you will, to John chapter 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 17. John 2, 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. You see, the disciples saw the zeal of Jesus and they remembered Psalm 69, verse 9. Which is a psalm about Jesus that says, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Then in verse 18, here in uh, John chapter 2, it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? You know, in a way, this really wasn't a bad question here for the Jews to ask. Jesus came in stirring things up, and they wanted to know why he was doing it. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says that the Jews require a sign. That's just the way they are. And many times the Jews would ask Jesus to give them a sign, but he refused to do so. Jesus told them that the only sign he would give them was the sign of Jonah. You remember that? And what did Jesus mean by that? Well, let's go ahead and turn there real quick. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament. Matthew chapter 12. And we'll look down starting in verse 38. 
Matthew 12:38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as John was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you remember the story, Jonah was willing to give his life to appease the wrath of God that was coming upon everyone on the ship as a result of the storm. And he was thrown overboard and swallowed up by a great fish. And for three days and three nights he was imprisoned, but he was spat upon the shore and was alive and free. What an awesome picture of Jesus that incident was. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried in the earth for three days, and on the third day he rose again. And that was the sign that the Jews were going to get, the sign of a resurrected Christ. And flipping back now to John chapter 2, Jesus goes on to tell them in verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You see, Jesus knew that these religious leaders would attempt to destroy his body, but he also knew that they would not succeed. And you know, today, man-made religion is still hindering the spreading of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they keep people from knowing the risen resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I grew up in a man-made religion, and eventually I didn't want anything to do with it. It was hypocritical to me. People lived however they wanted, Monday through Saturday, and as long as they confessed everything they did on Sunday, they were all right. But when I came to know Jesus through the Word of God, I wanted to know more and more about him. You see, it's a rich and a glorious thing just to know Jesus. Colossians 1.27 says that God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what it's all about. Christ in you. It's not about religion. It's not about rituals. It's not about anything else but knowing Jesus. We must be careful today as followers of Jesus to not allow this temple, our body, to be a house of merchandise, but rather a house of worship. The temple in Jesus' day became a house of merchandise, and the court of the Gentiles, which was supposed to be a place of worship, was defiled. And Jesus was upset because he wants all to come and worship him, no matter who they are. You know, as I teach on Sunday mornings, I've asked the congregation, 
Can someone come into this fellowship with tattoos all over their bodies and holes poked in them everywhere? Piercings? Sure they can. We'll just point them to Jesus, to the one who was bruised and pierced for their sin. And we'll watch what he does in their lives. It's not about the outward. It's not about what's on a person's body. You see, man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Anyone can come to Jesus. And if they open their hearts to him, he will take up residence within their hearts. He was bruised. He was pierced for us. But you know, Jesus isn't represented by a tattoo. And he's not represented by a bumper sticker. He's the king of hearts, and he cares about who we are on the inside. That's what he's looking at. He's looking at who you are on the inside. That's what matters. So in verse 19, we see that Jesus knew what they would do to him, and they go on to say to him in verse 20, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? You see, they were spiritually blind and did not realize that Jesus was talking about the destruction of his body. And without a relationship with Jesus, people are spiritually blind today. For spiritual eyes to be opened, people need to hear the word of the Lord. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Right after the book of John is the book of Acts. Right after the book of Acts is the book of Romans. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. And we'll read uh, verses 10 through 15. It says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And now, or excuse me, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Spiritual eyes of lost souls will be opened by the preaching of the gospel of peace. When they hear the glad tidings of good things, they'll want to know Jesus. That's why I teach the word and the word only. We don't gather together to study books that are written by men and women. We gather to study the word God. And that's what the ministry of abounding love is all about. 
pointing people to the Word of God. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need movies. We don't need books, like I said, written by men or women. We simply need the Word of God. It is powerful, and it changes lives from the inside out. Turn back to John chapter 2. So after Jesus said if they destroyed this temple, he would raise it up in three days, they told him how long it took to build that temple. And then verses 21 and 22 says, But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So even the disciples needed to see certain things. And the more they saw, the more they believed. And God, by his grace, allows us to see things within, but we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. The place where we go to see things is the word of God. You know, Thomas, who we know as Doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, came to Jesus. And he didn't believe, well, he came to the disciples first, and he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then in John chapter 20, verse 29, uh, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. That's you and I today, walking by faith. We haven't seen Jesus. I've been walking with the Lord for 24 years. Never have my physical eyes seen him. I simply trust his word. I simply obey his word and do what he says to do. But it's not about my righteousness It's not about my good works. It's simply all about him and his work, what he has completed, what he has done. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We are looking not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I encourage you, to go deeper, to open your eyes more fully to who Jesus is, to study how he walked and ask him to empower you by his Holy Spirit to do the things that he would have for you to do with this short time we have left on this earth. No matter how long we're here, life is short. Let's be temples of worship and not temples of religion and merchandise. He takes the old and he makes something sweet and new out of it, just like he did turning the water into wine. And he can also come into our hearts and clean house. Don't let your eyes be closed to the house cleaning your heart may need. Go deeper in your walk with the Lord, like I said. Open your heart to him. Cry out to him and ask him 
to do a cleansing within you, to make all things new. But be willing to turn from this world. Be willing to turn maybe even from man-made religion and turn your life completely over to Jesus and absolutely surrender to him. Amen. Thanks for listening, listening, guys. We appreciate you. God bless. Hope to hear from you.